Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you. So let's get to it. Would you guys miss me? Yeah. All right, good. First sermon back. Well, I'm really excited. (laughs) That's great. You might not be because I've had five weeks to prepare this sermon, so I don't know how long it's going to be. Uh, and I've missed the pulpit. I love teaching the Bible. I really do. It's one of my favorite things. Uh, but I was really glad to see, uh, you know, Jesse and Zach preach for the first time at Ascent. That was really cool. Uh, and then to see Tim and Rick continue to preach. They've grown so much since the first time they preached. So uh, it gives me a lot of hope as a pastor to know that when I leave, uh, there are people here who can take over and, and do a good job. So can we give them a hand real quick before we get into it? I told Taylor they might not want me to come back. Uh, after I heard, I heard Tim's message, I think it was, while I was on vacation. And I thought, wow, that was really good. Uh, they don't even need me anymore. Uh, Nehemiah uh, chapter 1 uh, is where we're going to be. And uh, we're starting a new book of the Bible. Are you guys excited to study Nehemiah? Okay, well, by the end of it, you'll be excited. Uh, Nehemiah is a great book. Uh, it's actually a part of a book that we already finished in Ezra. Uh, it's in, in the old, when they actually put the Bible together, Ezra and Nehemiah were one book, and then we came along and we separated the two books. But really, it tells one story. It's telling the story of the Jews who are returning from the exile. They're returning from slavery. Uh, they were enslaved because of their idolatry. God allowed them to be overtaken by the Babylonian Empire. He said, this discipline won't last forever. It'll last about 70 years. And that's exactly what happened. And then Cyrus releases the Jews to go back home, 500 miles to Israel, to begin to rebuild the way that they do worship and to rebuild the city that they are in. And as they come back, we get in Ezra and Nehemiah the story of the rebuilding. And it's three different leaders that we focus on. We've already looked at two, and the third one is Nehemiah. The first two was uh, Zerubbabel, who comes to lay the foundation of the temple. Uh, And then we have uh, Ezra, who is the name of the book that we just read. And he came to restore the right worship. And we'll see a little bit more of him in Nehemiah. And finally, we get to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is most people's favorite. Most people have never heard a sermon from Ezra. You guys are above everybody else because you heard a whole series on it. Uh, But a lot of people probably have heard sermons on Nehemiah. It's a really powerful book. The first two words are the words, and it's the words of Nehemiah. And I think that's what makes it so powerful because it's Nehemiah's personal memoir. How many of you keep a journal of some sort, any kind? Nobody? Uh, I started a new habit this year. I write down one line every day of what happened the day before, and I would not want all the people for thousands of years reading that journal. Uh, And yet that's exactly what we have in Nehemiah. We have a man who's showing us his fears, showing us his anxieties, and showing us his passions as he's in the midst of doing what God has called him to do. And it's really, really powerful. And it's a lot of ways I could preach the book of Nehemiah. Uh, And in fact, if you look up sermons on Nehemiah, what you'll find are a lot of different sermons. I could preach through Nehemiah about finding purpose in your life, and that would be good. There's plenty of implications to do that. I could preach on Nehemiah about leadership principles because Nehemiah was an awesome uh, awesome leader. And if you are a leader, you should read Nehemiah and look at some of the principles and the ways that he was a leader. But ultimately, the way I think I need to preach Nehemiah and we ought to read Nehemiah when we're reading our Bibles is not as a leadership guru or not as somebody who's pursuing his purpose, but as somebody who's pointing us towards Jesus Christ. As we look at the Bible, all 66 books of them point towards one person. That person is Jesus. When we read the Bible, we are not the main character. We are a side character at best. The main character of the whole book of the Bible is Jesus And so whenever we read Nehemiah or we read any of these other Old Testament narratives, we ought to be looking at how does this point me to Jesus? 
If you're ever reading an Old Testament narrative and you make yourself the hero, you're probably not doing it right. Like in the book of Nehemiah, we'll see us in this book, but we're not Nehemiah. We're the Israelites who are terrified and sinful and walking away from God that Nehemiah has to grab and pull their hair out to get him back on track. No, in the book of Nehemiah, we see a shadow or a figure of one who is going to come that will be far better than Nehemiah, and his name is Jesus Christ. And so as I preach through Nehemiah, that's what we're going to be focusing on. How does this point us towards Jesus? And today we're starting with the first four verses, and I have one goal. Uh, This is what I want you to know by the end of the sermon. If you don't catch anything else, uh, this is it. I want you to know that God deeply cares for you. You are cared for by God. He treasures you. And if you want to know how you can know that God treasures you, you look at the leader he sent. It's not Nehemiah. It's Jesus Christ. And in him, we can see that God cares deeply for us. My goal is that you would believe a little bit more like the psalmist, who in Psalm 2710 says this, Even if my father and my mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. Man, I want that to go from here to here, and I want it for you as well. That I believe that if everybody else abandons me in this world, I still have one who cares for me, and he's the one who rules the universe. That is the message of Nehemiah 1, 1 through 4. And we see it through the way that God shows his care for the Israelites through raising up this leader, Nehemiah. Now, God is spirit, so God is kind of like love. I, can't, I can tell you about love, but for you to experience love, it has to be embodied. There has to be somebody that you physically love for you to then understand what love is. And so what God does through the Old Testament, pointing us closer and closer to Jesus, is he raises up these leaders who embody the love of God to his people. We see it in Moses. We see it uh, in Aaron. We see it in David. And we see it in Nehemiah. We've already seen it in Ezra and Zerubbabel. And what this does is it's pointing us forward to the one who would come that would not be a man, but be the God man. That God would take on flesh himself and show us how much he loved us in an embodied way. Now, as we jump into this, the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to briefly spend time in Nehemiah. I'm going to show you three ways uh, that to an ancient Israelite reading Nehemiah, they would have known that God cared for them deeply in the way that he raised up Nehemiah. Now, for us, we just kind of read over this stuff because we're not that, you know, looking into the Jewish scriptures. We don't know all the context, but they would. And so this would have been really powerful to them. And then I'm going to point us towards the care of Jesus. But as we look forward, as we're studying our Bibles, if you have notes, you want to take notes. What we're going to look at today, my outline, is we're going to see God's care through Nehemiah's name, Nehemiah's request, and Nehemiah's response. Nehemiah's name, his request, and his response. Let me pray for us, then we'll jump into it. Father, thank you so much for the people who are here today. I believe it's not an accident that each of the people sitting before me are sitting before me. I don't know what they bring into this place. I don't know what cares they have. But my hope would be that by the end of this, they would see that you care for them, and so they can cast their cares upon you. God, I believe believe that when we know that you care for us deeply, what it does for us is it gives us peace. We don't have to be anxious because the God of this universe cares deeply for us. And we can know that you care for us because of what you've done for us through Jesus. Lord, as we study Nehemiah, I pray that you would point us towards King Jesus. Lord, I pray that anything I say that is untrue would be blown away like chaff in the wind. Anything that I do say that is true would be highlighted in the minds of my listeners. God, it is in your name that I pray. Amen. The first thing we see as we jump in is Nehemiah's name. And in the Bible, names have great significance. Uh, In fact, 
most of the time, if you want to know what's going to happen at the end of the story in the Bible stories, you can look at the person's name and what the name means, and it's going to give you great insight into what happens in the story. I remember personally learning this as a kid at First Baptist Woodward Church, uh, you know, nine or ten years old, and uh, the names had meaning. And all my friends, we got really excited about it because we were like, well, what does our name mean? This is going to be awesome. I want to know what my name means. And my friends are looking up what their names mean, and they get on Google, and as they're on Google looking up what their names mean, they have cool names. I mean, it means like bravery and value and courage and then Blake gets to go up there and I type my name into the Google machine what is Blake gonna mean what what gift did my parents give me Blake literally means white it is true right but it wasn't exactly what I was hoping for so I, I you know I said I'm never gonna give my kid a name like that and then what do I name my daughter Blakely so the the I, that hit me this morning I'm like Oh, darn it. I did that to her. I was thinking about this. So I, my name doesn't mean much. Your name might not mean much. But in the Old Testament, names meant a whole lot. And Nehemiah's name, we're going to find out, is actually a fulfillment of prophecy. So as we look at verse 1, uh, it says this. It says, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. Now, the reason why it says son of Hakaliah is because that's how they did last names. They didn't have like Farley. They, they would tell you who they were the son of. So, fun fact, a lot of people think Jesus' last name is Christ. His last name is not Christ. That is his title. It means anointed one. It means king. It's our Christ, Jesus. I say it that way sometimes so that you can hear the distinction. No, his name was not Jesus Christ. His name probably would have been Jesus Joseph's son or something. So that's what we have here. We have Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah. But the part that is really cool is the word Nehemiah. Nehemiah literally means God comforts. Literally means God comforts. Now, to those who are living in ancient Israel, their mind would have immediately went to a prophet who prophesied before the exile, before they were in slavery, to the prophet of Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter 40, he gives them hope. He says, you've messed it up. You're about to undergo the judgment of God, but there will be hope that will come. God will not abandon you because he cares about you way too much. And in Isaiah 40, 1 and 2, it says this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and announce to her that her time of hard service is over. Her iniquity has been pardoned and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. I love God because he knows we're not the sharpest arrows sometimes. So it's like, God, how will we know when this has come? How will we know when you've sent us this comfort? And God's like, I'm going to send you a leader whose name is literally comfort. You're like, ah, I think this might be the guy. Nehemiah is showing them that God's comfort is here. God's care is here. The judgment is complete. So we see that first in his name. The second way we see it is through his request. His request. One of the first things Nehemiah does is he asks about the Jewish people. And you can always tell about how much somebody actually cares about you when they ask how you are doing. Have you ever met somebody who literally all they do is talk about themselves? Like you just... They, they might ask how you're doing at the beginning of the conversation, only so you could ask them how they are doing. And then you spend the rest of the time listening. You get their whole life story and they have never asked you one question about yourself. You begin to start to think this person doesn't really care about me. This person just wants to talk to somebody. Uh, I, I like what uh, George Bernard Shaw says. I, I agree with him perfectly. And this is not a part of the sermon, but I just don't want us to be these kind of people. Uh, who are the kind of people who don't care about other people. He says this, The worst sin toward our fellow creatures is not to hate them, but to be indifferent to them. That's the essence of inhumanity. And Warren Wiersbe kind of hits it on the head here. He says, Some people prefer not to know what's going on because information might bring obligation. 
I think that is very true. But we cannot say that that is true of Nehemiah. Because as we look at the end of verse 1 and verse 2, what do we see? We see Nehemiah makes a request. He cares enough to ask. It says, during the month of Chislev, which is the month of uh, November in our calendar, in the 20th year, when I was in the fortress city of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah, and I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. So it's important to know that Nehemiah is actually back in Babylon. He never went to Jerusalem with the rest of the Jews. In fact, only a small portion went. It's called a remnant, which means about 50,000 people went back to rebuild the city and to rebuild the temple. Nehemiah stayed back for a very good reason. He had a very powerful position in the government. Uh, He was the cupbearer, which meant he got to test all of the wine before it was given to the king to make sure the king wasn't assassinated. So he lived in the palace and he had a right-hand seat to the king. Uh... It's kind of like I went on a mission trip a while back and when I first started my ministry, actually, and there was a guy on the mission trip who had the coolest job I've ever heard of. Uh, He was was the guy who held the football for President George Bush. The football has all the nuclear codes. So everywhere the president went, he went with the president. Now, you can imagine he's heard some things that you and I wouldn't die if we heard. He knows things that you and I do not know because he's been that close to that powerful of a person. And he probably got to speak into that person's life in ways that you and I never would. Well, here's Nehemiah, and he has that same kind of role as the cupbearer for the king. So he's in the palace back in Babylon, and he asks, well, how are, those, how are the guys doing that went? How, how's Ezra and Zerubbabel? How's the, how's the leadership going down there? Are things being built? Are things moving forward? And he says, can you tell me what's going on? Now, to us, that's cool because he cares, but it's actually, again, another fulfillment of prophecy. Jeremiah fifteen fifteen. Again, before the exile, says this. Who will have pity on you, Jerusalem? Who will show you sympathy toward you? Who will turn aside to ask about your well-being? You have left me. This is the Lord's declaration. You have turned your back, so I stretched out my hand against you and destroyed you. I'm tired of showing compassion. Who will ask about your well-being? And Nehemiah says, I will. I'm the one who's going to ask. And what does this show us? It shows us that God's compassion is here. The judgment is finished. For the Israelite people, this would have been amazing. You guys don't look like it's amazing because you haven't been in slavery for a hundred years. But when you've been in slavery for a hundred years and God's comfort has arrived, this is a really big deal. God hasn't given up on us. God cares for us. And we see his care through Nehemiah, through his name and through his request. And finally, we see it through his response. Because the news that they give them is not encouraging news. Hananiah says to Nehemiah, Says they said to me, the remnant in the providence who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down and its gates have been burned. Now this happened 141 years ago when the gates were burned down and the walls were trampled over. Now look at Nehemiah's response for something that happened 141 years ago. It says this, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of the heavens. I heard a pastor put this in perspective. Uh, He said, it'd be like if I stood up today and I told you, hey, guys, um, Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. You guys would be like, yeah, we know, Blake, like that happened a while back. But not only did I tell you Abraham Lincoln was assassinated, I began to weep profusely. Abraham Lincoln is assassinated. You guys would be like, is he okay? Like, we need to talk to Taylor about what's going on in his life because that was a bad deal for the country. We all agree on that. You know, it, we wish Abraham Lincoln would have lived. But that was, your reaction seems kind of a little much and a little late, Blake. 
And yet that's what we have going on here in Nehemiah. He begins to weep. He begins to pray and fast. And there's two kinds of prayer and fasting, just like there's two kinds of running. Uh, There's the disciplined kind of running and there's the reaction type of running. Uh, The disciplined type of running are the people who run for fun. They're weird people. You know, you see them out there. They're not even running from anything. They're just they're running uh, for enjoyment, for exercise. It's discipline. And then there's the kind of runner that we most of us are, if we're being honest, it's the reactive running. If I am running, you should call the police because something terrible has happened or something is chasing me. That's the way most of us run. And that's also the way most of us pray. Now, disciplined prayer and fasting is good. But what we see here from Nehemiah is reactive prayer and fasting. It's like things are falling apart. He is so burdened about the people of God that he can't eat. And even if you're not a Christian, you understand this. It's why in the hospital, when somebody's with a loved one and the the nurse is there, the nurse will often have to remind the one who is not sick to do what? To eat. Take care of yourself. You got to drink water. You got to get sleep. Why do they have to remind us of those basic things? Because we care so much about someone we love. I can't think about food right now. My stomach is sick until I know that my loved one is okay. Now, that's how we feel about things in our own life. Some of us, we feel that way about our money or people that we love, and that's fine. But Nehemiah feels that way about God's people. Have you ever felt that way about God's people? Have you ever been so grieved about the lost people in Northwest Oklahoma that you couldn't eat? That all you could do was sit there and pray. To be honest with you, I have not. Like I, I, I felt grieved enough to plant a church and I felt grieved several times, but never, never enough to sit down and start fasting and praying like Nehemiah does. This is a, a Holy Spirit kind of conviction that God has given Nehemiah. He cares for these people deeply. Now, as I've said, Nehemiah is only a shadow because Nehemiah was not perfect. Nehemiah's compassion ran a little bit low. At the end of the book of Nehemiah, in chapter 13, we find this scene. The Nehemiah leaves and he comes back and the people have fallen back into sin. They were marrying foreign women, had nothing to do with racial uh, concerns, had everything to do with religious concerns. They're marrying people outside of God's will. And uh, it says this in Nehemiah chapter 13, 25. Compassionate Nehemiah, gone. Verse 25, I rebuked them, cursed them, beat some of their men and pulled out their hair. I forced them to take an oath before God and said, you must not give your daughters in marriage to their sons or take their daughters as wives for your sons or yourselves. Aren't you guys glad Nehemiah is not your pastor? He's like grabbing their hair. Take an oath before God. Uh, I heard a story about George Washington. You know, all the stories about George Washington, probably half of them are fake. Uh, But I never let a a fake story get in the way of a good sermon illustration. And... There's a story in the Revolutionary War where George Washington, uh, had his, it was during the winter, so he let his, kind of, his men have a night off, and there was a lot of snow, and uh, these two soldiers began a snowball fight. Well, like men do, it kind of escalated, and they began to really fight. And uh, George Washington came out of his tent or wherever he was, and he came, and it says he grabbed both of these men by the throat and held them up. Like, what are you guys doing? He threw them down on the ground. I thought, that is cool. And that is what Nehemiah did. That is not what Jesus does, praise God. Jesus has way more care than Nehemiah or George Washington. Jesus does weep for us. We see that all throughout the Gospels. Jesus is very passionate about God's people. Luke 19.44, this is when Jesus comes up with his disciples. He sees Jerusalem. He sees the masses of people, sheep without a shepherd. And it says, as he approached and saw the city, he wept for it. 
Or the shortest verse in all the Bible, John eleven thirty five, when Jesus comes to his friend Lazarus, who's been dead. He's overwhelmed by the effects of sin on Lazarus and on the people who he loves. And the shortest verse says, Jesus wept. John 10, 11 through 13 shows us Jesus' care. It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. See, what we see in Jesus is that he cares deeply for you and he cares deeply for me. And the good news for us is that if we are with Jesus and Jesus cares for us, we have nothing to fear. Now, do we still get afraid? Yes. But we get afraid because we have not yet fully believed the fact that Jesus is with us. I mean, if I really believe the God of this universe, the one sitting on the throne, the one telling kings what they are allowed to do and not allowed to do, the one who has power over sickness and death itself is on my team and he cares deeply for me, I would have no fear. The deeper that truth gets into my heart, the less fear I have and the more peace that I have. Let's, let's be honest, sometimes this is difficult. And Peter learned this the hard way. I love Peter. He's, he's much like me. Things just fly out of his mouth without much thought. And uh, Peter, as he recounts the story of Jesus uh, and the storm in Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 40, tells this story. It says, On that day, when evening had come, he told them, he being Jesus, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat. And other boats were there. A great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. He, being Jesus, was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. They woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? I don't know about you, but I felt that way before. Jesus, don't you care? Are you sleeping? Like, what is going on? I'm trying to live a life for you. I'm trying to do the right things. And it feels like I'm getting no help from you. In fact, it's funny. Whenever you preach on something, you've got to be careful because God will give you great illustrations. And uh, this morning, I had a great illustration of this. Like, I, I woke up early, I drank a little bit of coffee, and I thought, I'll just go up to the church early. Well, long story short, a lot of things fell apart for me in a way that I wasn't expecting. And uh, as I'm driving home, angry and tense, I remember what I'm preaching on. <laughs> I remember I'm supposed to have the peace of God, and I'm not having the peace of God. I'm saying, God, where are you? Why is this happening? Why are things going this way right now? It's my first Sunday back. I want to preach a sermon. I was going to, I was going to come in and enjoy coffee, enjoy fellowship, and now I'm going to be there just right on time. And, and it was almost like the Holy Spirit said to me, Blake, remember what you're preaching on? Remember that I care for you? But oftentimes it feels that way in life, doesn't it? Like when somebody you love gets sick, Jesus, are you sleeping? When, when, the, when you lose the job... You know, when we get a raise, it's like, oh, yeah, God's on my side. I'm blessed. But what happens when you when you get a down? You know, we don't talk about we talk about raises. We don't talk about downs. What happens when you get a down or you get cut from your job? Jesus, where are you? Don't you care about my family? This is where the disciples are. They're in the boat. and It's getting swamped with water. And Jesus is sleeping and they go and they wake him up. Don't you care? And here's Jesus's response. He got up rebuked the wind and said to the sea, which that's, that's just like, this is maybe just ADHD. That's a really cool uh, verse to me. Like who rebukes the wind in the sea? He rebukes them like I rebuke my dog. He says, waves, stop. It's, it's nuts. Uh, you guys don't think it is as cool as I do, and that's fine. He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, silence, be still. I mean, this is the crazy part. The wind ceased, 
and there was a great calm. Then he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? In other words, what Jesus is saying is, boys, if I am with you, you have nothing to fear. Don't you know that I love you? Don't you know that I care about you more than you care about you? Don't you know who I am? You think I'm going to let something happen to you? This made me think of, uh, I remember as a kid, a moment that really stood out to me. Uh, my dad was, was trying to get me to do something. I don't remember what it was. I think it, we were at the lake and he wanted me to get on the tube. And I was scared. You know, I, I didn't want to get out there. And uh, I just remember my dad grabbing me. He said, Blake, do you really think I would allow something to happen to you? Do you think I would ever allow something to happen to you that would hurt you? And I thought about that this week. Because I think that's what Jesus is doing to the disciples here. I think that's what Jesus is doing to all of us. Hey, I know you lost your job. I know you're going through this thing that seems impossible. But do you really not think I know? Do you really think I would allow you to go through something that wouldn't end up for my glory and for your good? Do you know how much I care for you? And when Jesus stands up and he yells, silence, be still, I actually don't think he's talking to the waves. Could Jesus stop the waves without saying a word? Yes. I mean, he could just snap his fingers. The waves stop. So why does he say silence, be still? You know why I think he's saying it? Because he's not saying it to the waves. He's saying it to the disciples. He's saying it to us. Be quiet and rest in me. He's quoting actually two very famous uh, Old Testament passages. You probably have them on a coffee mug somewhere. Psalm 46 Verse 10 and 11, it says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted among the earth. And it says this, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Salah. The God of Jacob is my fortress. I don't care what your fortress is. It's pretty dinky compared to mine. Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. I got Jesus on my team. You know, it's like me and Jesus versus everybody else, and I win. It's not because of me. Amen? It's because I've got the right guy on my team. You are not going to beat me when I have Jesus. There's nothing in life, no matter how bad it might feel, but Jesus is not in it and working through it. Now, you might, if you're anything like me, be kind of skeptical of God's care for you. You know, Blake, could God really care for me? Because you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I should have done that I didn't do. You know, I don't, maybe God cares about you. You're a preacher. You probably pray every once in a while. But I, you know, I can't remember the last time I prayed. Does God really care about me? And I want you to know that if you ever question whether or not God cares about you, all you have to do is look to the cross of Jesus. All you have to do is look back at what He has already done for you on Calvary. As we look back at that, that terrible Passion Week, we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before they come and get him. And he's so stressed out about what is about to happen that he is literally sweating blood drops. And he's calling to his father and he says, Father, if there's any other way that I could do this, please let this cup of suffering pass away from me. But not my will, your will. And then Jesus, knowing full well what he's about to undergo, undergoes it with a cat of nine tails ripping skin off of his flesh. As they put him up on a cross and they hammer nine inch nails into his wrists and into his feet. And they spit on him with spit glands that he created. They breathe breaths to shout insults. And the breaths they are breathing are only allowed because Jesus sustains it. And all the while he could end this whole thing. He holds all of the atoms together in his hands. And yet he sat there and he died. Not because they killed him, but because he took his own life. He gave up his own life. For you and for I. 
Why would he do that? Well, the book of Hebrews tells us it was for the joy set before him. In other words, it was because he cared about you so much. He saw all of us, yes, but he also saw you. He cared for you that much. And this is why the Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39, and I love this in the message paraphrase, says, so what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? If God cared enough to send his son to die for you, you don't think he cares enough to protect you in your cancer? You don't think he cares enough to be there in your finances? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love? There is no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I am absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. Amen. Man, that just makes me want to sing, and I hope it does you too. Here in a minute, I'm going to invite Royce up to be baptized. And what he's being baptized into is the same thing you're being baptized into if you've, ba- if you've believed in Jesus Christ and been baptized. As I baptize him in, Royce is being baptized into the care of God. He no longer lives on his own as an enemy of God. He becomes a child of God. He no longer serves himself. He's going to be baptized into the service of King Jesus. And he is no longer on his own, but he is empowered by the Holy Spirit as he's baptized in that water and he comes up. It represents his newness of life. And for all of us, we need to remember this. It took Peter to witness what happened, as we read in the Gospel of Mark. But at the end of his life, when he's no longer you know, disciple Peter, but he's apostle church leader Peter, he says this to us. And I think it's one of the most practical things that we can take away from today. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him, because he cares about you. I don't have to carry any of my cares because there's a leader. Just as the Israelites had Nehemiah, I have the greater Nehemiah, Jesus, to cast my cares upon. Friends, I'm going to pray for us. Uh, Zach, if you guys want to go ahead and come up. Uh, and Royce, you can go ahead and come up here. Uh, and we will do my favorite thing. I'm wearing, I'm wearing a really bold shirt today. This is, I told Taylor this is my Pablo Escobar shirt. I feel, <laughs> I don't know, I got like the watch and everything going on. I wore this shirt so I could baptize, you know, because I don't want to get it wet. But... I'm excited. Let me pray. That had nothing to do with the sermon. See, I, I missed you guys. Father God, thank you so much for the way that you've loved us and cared for us. God, we pray that as, or I pray rather, that as these people leave here today, Lord, that they would have a little greater understanding of your care for them. And God, if they ever question the way that you care for them, they could look to the cross of Jesus and see that if you would not even spare your own son, how would you not also give them all things? God, I pray that that presence would be real today, that it would be felt today. It wouldn't just be an intellectual thing, but it would be something that was felt. God, that they would know that they are treasured and cared for by you. Lord Jesus, we love you and we praise you. Amen.
Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.